Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. We've gotten some good feedback on these Q&A style episodes. The first half is on the main feed and the full version is for patrons only. You can go to patreon.com slash Dan Coke to become a patron and hear the whole thing. Uh, But today we answer a question that I've gotten a lot over the years, really over the last six or seven years, uh, the entire time I've been podcasting. And that's once you believe that people aren't going to hell, once the main stick is removed from the carrot stick situation of conservative Christianity, is there still a carrot? Why go for the carrot? Why be religious? Why be Christian? Uh, And it's a really interesting question with some really interesting assumptions behind it, I think. After we get through that question, we talk about who I'd want to have a beer with, a fictional character, uh, what I'm planning to teach my son about sex, some meta narratives in pop culture that I think are helping me wrestle with big questions, boundaries, uh, and ex-pastors finding callings after deconstructing their faith and no longer uh, being a pastor or no, having it no longer make sense to work as a pastor. It helps us a lot when you share episodes. And so this episode would make sense for anybody who you think might be asking any one of those questions that I just mentioned. That probably makes the most sense. Okay, let's jump into it.
Kristen Tideman, welcome back for another of these Q&A episodes. You do media and marketing stuff for us, and we got a pretty good reaction from the last one of these, huh? Oh, I mean, you know, I wish I could say I was so surprised, but <laughs> <laughs> you did screenshot. Okay, we have fun. You did screenshot a comment in the Facebook group about <laughs> I want more of these. I'll take as much Kristen as I can get and sent it to Josh and I, uh, producer Josh and I. And you know what? I I agreed with that commenter. So Chris, so we're back to do another one of these uh, Q and A's. The, the questions are taken from either patrons of the show, or some of them came from the live event in Seattle. We'll we'll, we'll come up with other ways to kind of field questions around you know Christianity and the modern world, essentially. And what we're going to do is kind of like we did last time and with the Shiny Happy People episodes, we're going to do half on the main feed and the other half is going to be patron only. The first half, like with Mark and Shiny Happy People, stuff that's kind of more PSA material, like information, stuff to make our lives better or address tough stuff. We're going to try and put that in the first half and get a little more loose uh, in the second half, but, but we'll see where it goes. And I understand you have a little bit more of a lighthearted opening question that we'll start with here. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> so in light of upcoming Theology Beer Camp and the Star Wars theme, we had a request to ask you, Dan, that if you could have a beer with one character from a sci-fi or superhero or fantasy genre, who would okay. it be and why? Sci-fi, superhero, or fantasy. All right, this is this is a wide net. I'm going to take yes. a second to think about this. Okay, so process of elimination. If yes. I'm having a beer with someone, let's go backwards here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to think setting here. I would prefer it to be a real ale, which is that okay. is a British cask ale in a British pub in the UK mm. or Scottish pub or Irish pub. Okay, so... That already kind of takes us out of, so we, we need kind of like British type characters. Yes. Because they're not in the real world. Well, I guess they could be maybe, you know, like Hogwarts or whatever is is sort of in the real world, but has its own kind of thing, right? Right, right. So, okay. So in that case, I'm going to want somebody British or a British type character. Started with the beer. And that is a subversion of expectation. Uh, uh, is it really? For me, <laughs> I mean, this is tough because what I'd really like to do is I'd like to be with the Inklings who came oh. up with all of these fantasy yeah. characters, right? But they're right. real people in, you know, at Oxford or whatever, uh, throwing back pints together. I mean, that's like the dream. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to do a little fan fan service for Trip here. I'm just going to uh, suck uh, up. I'm going to suck up to Trip as host of Theology Beer Camp. <laughs> And I'm going to get a little existential here. So I'm going to say Gandalf the Grey. Oh, not the white. Not the white. A lot of people would want to hang with Gandalf the White after his basically hero's journey, death and rebirth experience. But I'm going to go with the, it's like Jesus at Gethsemane before the crucifixion, right? That's more interesting in some ways than the enlightened... Jesus or Gandalf who knows everything. Give me some of that sweating blood and the uncertainty, the existential reality of mm. the human experience or fictitious or 
second person of the Trinity experience, whatever, however Whoa, you want to say wow. it. I think that's a good answer. And, and I'm just saying, come to beer camp, come hang out with Trip and I and ask him that question. <laughs> that is a great, that is a uh, great motivator. I'm sure Trip would give a much longer answer about whoever he picks. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. We need to set, that would be the whole first half of the episode and then everything else would be in the patron. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have an answer for that one, by the way? If you've got a quick one, I'd like to hear it. I uh, I didn't. I would go see. I, now I'm thinking Hogwarts or Lord of the Rings as well. I feel like okay. I will say, I think there is a lot of complexity in the character of Severus Snape in Hogwarts. I was just gonna say Professor no Snape way. for yes. me. I was. No just, I thought you might go there. Yeah. What. I'm honored. I, it's great to be recognized. Yeah, no, I I think like one of the only parts I like cry in this series is uh, his sacrifice. Spoiler alert, but you've had so much time. And like the deep love he actually had and how he really doesn't put that on Harry at all, despite the fact that he kind of, I mean, he's kind of a jerk, but it actually works as this like subterfuge. and. The love he had for Harry's mother, despite the fact that it was somewhat unrequited, is like, mm. oh, it's it's powerful. Um, now, the thing that's curious is like, it's always a funny vibe when it's like a peppy, you know, young person with a curmudgeon. That's like a whole different vibe. Would Severus even chat with me? Who can say? But I have my <laughs> I have my dreams. That's that. Was Harry's mom a muggle or magic magician? She was magic. Okay, I see. Well, that's going to be a problem for you with uh, Professor Snape. Oh, that I'm a muggle? That you're a muggle. (laughs) There you go. We're already running into problems. Okay. It's rough that way. Okay, so that's our fun intro. But we have a more serious question today. And this was, I was digging through, I had my giant big book of questions for Dan open on my desk and I had my magnifying glass reading through by the light of a candle. And I finally said, this is it. So the question we have landed on today is after universalism or accepting universalism, why does religion matter? Yeah. So let's just do a a minute here on universalism. So I wish we could make your voice really fast for this, like really speed it version. I mean, (laughs) there's probably a way to do it. But universal (laughs) reconciliation or universal salvation is uh, it's a thread within the Christian tradition from the earliest years. Some people think it's in it's in places in Paul's writings, certainly by the first couple hundred years, church fathers and mothers like we were getting some people origin. Gregory of Nyssa that are saying, look, it sure looks to us like Jesus defeats sin and death once and for all. And that includes everybody. There's nobody going to hell. And really quick, if you're interested in that topic, I would point to two previous episodes, which Josh will put in the show notes. The first is with Brad Jersak. It's kind of all about universalism in general. And then there's a really cool kind of companion piece to that where Greg Kutsona uh, from Chico State uh, talks with me about universalism in the context of world religions. Mm, so he yeah. teaches uh, undergraduates there about not just Christianity, but other religions. And so he had some really interesting things to say about that. this idea of everybody 
ultimately getting in through the context of, of different faiths. So that's universalism. And, and the thing that, that happens here is people go, when you're thinking about universalism and you tell some people, like maybe in your evangelical context or something like that, you will always get a question. Somebody, if you tell enough people, five or six people, one of them will say to you, well, if Christianity is not about going to heaven when we die, then why would I still be a Christian if I believe everybody is mm. saved? You can count on it like the trains arriving on time in Germany. Somebody will ask you that question. Okay. So it's a super common one. Uh, I've, I've talked about it a lot of times with people. I, you know, I've, I've, it's been fielded to me in my own personal life before. Here's kind of the main thing I want to say. The logic behind that question reveals an assumption. Mm. It's a very common assumption in religious spaces. And the assumption is that religion or Christianity in this case matters because it affects our eternal destination. Mm. It like, that's the, that's the main thing. It matters on a wide public scale because it tells us who's going to heaven and who's going to hell or maybe purgatory if you're Catholic. And it matters on a personal level because it gets me to heaven and not hell or purgatory. Mm-hmm. So that that's the assumption under the question. And it's actually very similar to an assumption that we can also notice in the debates between like Ken Ham, creationist fundamentalists and atheists like Richard mm-hmm. Dawkins and people like that. Those two camps all agree on something like either the Bible is literally true word for word or the whole thing is bullshit. And they Mm. both agree on that, but they disagree on whether the Bible is true. But it's all a big waste of time because that's a horrible assumption Mm -hmm. that like we should not agree that those are the rules of the game. Right. So I think that there's a similar thing going on here. Now, if you think that your beliefs, your religious involvement or membership or whatever, if that is primarily there to determine eternal destination of souls. I mean, once you believe that, if you've ever believed that it's very sticky, it's Mm -hmm. a hard thing to get rid of. And I would say, of course it is because if that's true, then it is really the only thing that matters or the only thing that really matters. Cause it's like infinity versus finite time. You know, this is all a dress rehearsal for the real thing. And, and mathematically infinity will always trump everything here on this earth. That's the real infinity war. (laughs) All the way back. I should, I should have said, uh, what's the, what's the guy's name in, uh, who care that Josh Brolin plays with the infinity stones. Oh, I forgot. Thanos. I should have said, I wanted to have a beer with Thanos, but that would freak, freak me out. That'd be too, too scary. (laughs) Maybe like having a beer with Hitler. So yeah, like, If you're having a hard time, you know, or someone, you know, is having a hard time kind of shedding that assumption, I would say just have compassion on yourself. Like, of course you would have a hard time shedding that. It's like, it's goosing the numbers. It's, it's like, it's basically, (laughs) it's so totalizing that Mm -hmm. it will take a while to sort of shed that assumption. But that's the assumption that I think is under the question. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Like it almost puts it in a... Uh, I don't know if I should say utilitarian framework or almost mechanistic, like believe and you get this, or it's useful if you believe because you get heaven, <laughs> you know? So but it's the ultimate so, one. It's like yeah. utilitarianism 
on earth is the idea that we should, you know, do the greatest good for the greatest number of people. But all that stuff is finite. This mm-hmm. is like, like, that's why I say it's like goosing the numbers. It's like, it's winning the fight before you even get in the ring. Mm-hmm. If you can pre-agree, but, but my side has infinity dollars and your yeah. side only has a million dollars. Like, like there's no way to, yeah. there's no fight then. Yeah. It is totally encompassing to the extent that you really believe it. And so mm-hmm. I get why it's a pervasive assumption. That's kind of all I'm saying here. Yeah. So what's, what is religion then without that assumption? Like, how does that change it if you can remove that? Great. So then I think there are two distinct questions here that we could talk about separately, which is like, why does religion matter broadly? Like, why is it an important topic? But then I think the real motivator here is why should I engage in religion or Christianity personally? So I'm going to spend more time there, but let's talk briefly about broadly I will say people who listen to this podcast probably all agree that religion matters broadly. Or if you don't think religion is interesting, then you probably don't listen to you have permission. But (laughs) just in case this is shared, these are these are good sharing episodes. Right. Give people a sense of kind of where I'm coming from uh, and whatnot. So if someone were to ask me, why does religion matter broadly in the world? I would say, well, does literature matter, art or language? Mm. Do you care about politics? You can't understand it without religion. Do you care about economics, morality and ethics, social communities and bonding? Can't understand them without religion. Robert Bella, the late sociologist in his opus, Religion and Human Evolution. I've talked about this a couple of times at various points over the years, but his read of this, this trove of like evolutionary uh, data and, and research from the hard sciences, he believes that a lot of the practices that we would identify as religious. So groups of humans moving and making sounds together in community in synchronicity with each other, which according to this research happened before we had the tongue mechanisms that allow for modern language. Wow. We had, we had closer to other primates kind of yelping and whooping and grunting and yeah. stuff like that. But we actually have like, we have tongue and throat differences that allow greater mm-hmm. articulation of speech than other primates do. So before we had that, we had basically religious practices, the sort of embodied part of religion, maybe not all the abstract concepts and all of that stuff. Yeah. So I just want to clarify for everyone, that means there were religious experiences before the Taylor Swift heiress tour. So <laughs> You know what? Uh, Let's hop into my Neil deGrasse Tyson, like National Geographic uh, CGI spaceship. And let's go back to a previous era. Okay. We do our own eras tour. All right. The pre-linguistic proto-human religious era, homo religioso era. Anyway, so like it might not be a stretch. Literally, it might literally not be a stretch to say that the capacities that allow for religious expression in humans are mm-hmm. literally what separate us from other animal species. Hmm. Now, it's not the yeah. only thing we use those capacities for. Yeah. So even if humanity leaves behind religion, ultimately, whatever that could even mean and however that might look, you'll still never be able to understand the emergence of humans mm-hmm. and human civilization without a serious look and understanding of religion. So mm-hmm. there's my brief pitch for why religion matters in general. Any responses or questions about that? 
Well, I, I mean, I think that was great. Uh, the era, your great eras tour, proto human. <laughs> we'll tell Taylor, but I do think that's a little bit of a academic understanding of sure. even the word like mattering and more of mm-hmm. a descriptive history of how it has mattered. Whereas I would say, yeah, and I'm assuming we will now turn to why in a personal yeah. sense, there's meaning or mattering to people in this day and age beyond that academic sense. Totally. And I think that's usually what people mean by it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why should I, or, or why should, why should my friends care? Why should my kids care? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. People wanting to raise their children in their same faith and, and worrying that if there aren't eternal stakes, will that be enough? Will it be enough for their kids to stick around? And I, I think that's a difficult, tough, worthy question. But so here, the question is, why should I engage personally? Let's start with the universalism aspect of it, the kind of backdrop. So the average person who asked this question, I think, currently or formerly believed that their religious faith got them above all else a ticket to heaven, right? That that was the primary thing. And for that kind of stuff we talked about, it's infinity versus finitude. It's always going to win out. I've got the golden ticket. I've got the golden ticket. (laughs) Exactly. To a dream world of... Chocolate Pure imagination. And, and magic. Pure yes. imagination. There it is. Okay. But I would say this, even for people that still believe that the most important thing about their faith is that it gets them to heaven, there's a difference between the most important thing about one's faith and that being the only important thing mm-hmm. about one's faith. So yeah. if eternal destination, one way or the other is on the table, that's going to be number one, obviously number one with a bullet. But even for those people who believe it, they don't stop there. Like, They continue to live lives of faith. They pray, they go to church. Ideally, they give time and resources to good causes. They make friendships and social bonds with fellow believers. So Mm. even if eternal destination is kind of the number one thing, it's not the only thing going on. I mean, like, wasn't that your experience when you believed that you were going to heaven and a lot of people were going to hell? Yeah, I mean, I would say I was probably more anxious about it than many people I knew from what I could observe, which, you know, it's a little bit of like, you can only see so much of the other person. Uh, But I was like, I think I'm more nervous about this. But if I could put it aside, I'm like, yeah, we're hanging out at church together. We're having fun and we're all going to be together in heaven. So I don't have to think about the other people right now. my youth group experience was largely quite good. Um, Mm -hmm. And like at that time, did I believe talk what I would consider to be toxic things now about the world's religions and all the adherence? Yes, I did. Was that a big focus of my time and energy? No, it was mostly like making friends and there was some very helpful stuff around values and even the sort of somewhat problematic mission trips we took to Mexico, building houses and whatnot, like still opened my eyes to a larger world with economic injustice and stuff that ultimately, you know, tied in with my philosophical training later and, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, so Mm -hmm. it's just, even if it's the main thing sort of on paper or even emotionally, it's not the only thing. So that's kind of the the first thing is that it's not, even for those people, it's not the only thing. So even Mm -hmm. for someone who believes that they're still doing their faith for other reasons as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, I almost have a suspicion that if you could have a world where somehow the church had developed and was always universalist, this is pretty hypothetical. Can I test it? No. Do I know? No. But 
because what people were given anyway was just this understanding. If they were given a tradition where it was more just like, yeah, everyone's going to go to heaven and this is what we do and we love it. Like there wouldn't be this position, this this question wouldn't come up. And I think there could be a, a reality in which that was still a thriving community of people who maybe were just more focused on loving God and loving other people. But that's a, just a suspicion. You know, we are not in that world. So... <laughs> Well, and and this is kind of where the other religion stuff comes in, because you can't test it with Christianity, but we do have examples in the real world. So Mormons, for instance, do not have an eternal suffering hell that anybody Mm. goes to. Everyone goes to heaven. It's just kind of what level of heaven do they go to? And so Mormonism, now Mormonism has other kind of structures in place, you know, various incentives and disincentives for its members, right? It it does demand a fair bit from its members. But if you talk to Mormons about why they're Mormon, they will talk about values. They will talk about being community and family driven. Uh, They'll talk about, you know, like a uh, seems like a good way to raise children. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people will point to about that world, even though hell is off the table. For them anyway, even for non-believers. And then depending on who you ask, some expressions of Hinduism or Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism Mm. are are also universalist and and those religions exist and and people practice them. So, you know, it's interesting. Look at me centralizing the Christian narrative. Oh, no. (laughs) You Christian supremacist. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so, but let's talk about people for whom that fades for them, right? Like you and I, where our faith is no longer about going to heaven because we, we just don't think anybody's going to hell. That's just not really the the main thing. So my own experience and a lot of my friends, a lot of my guests, almost every theologian I know many listeners is that as we move further away from conservative forms of Christianity, we actually, we tend to focus less on eternity and more on this world in general, we we focus on the here and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in evangelical language, we would say we focus more on bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth yeah. and less about leaving earth for for heaven. Do you like that? <laughs> and there are ho- entire interpretations in more liberal traditions of the life and ministry of Jesus that are largely, if not entirely, focused on this world, on fighting empire, on working for liberation and justice, right? Most of the sort of quote unquote contextual theologies sort of focus on various biases and injustices and stuff like that in this life, in the Mm -hmm. way that the text was written and edited and what the councils agreed on, you know, all that kind of thing. So there's plenty to sink your teeth into within the Christian tradition around this worldly questions. If you want to get into theology, uh, it's not like there's a lack of resources once you don't believe that people's eternal destination is on the line anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. but here's my ultimate answer to the the kind of personal question. What is religion good for during this life? If it's mm-hmm. not, if it isn't good for anything, then we should leave it behind. But I don't think that that's true. First of all, though, if God is real and that's a question mark, but if God is real, then why would we stop engaging with God just because our heaven ticket is stamped Mm. like all of creation, art and beauty, love and loss, the entire human drama, hell, the entire cosmic drama of 14 billion years 
13 million years. I always get that wrong. All of that <laughs> is meaningless because I'm heaven bound. Like that is yeah. such a tiny little way of thinking about it. Mm. Uh, I get it. It's kind of like a, it's self-interested and it's uh, maybe safety oriented or something, long-term safety or whatever, making sure I'm good. But like, Guys, we, we're on a four and a half billion year old planet that evolved life in all of its complexity. And like, we're just going to go, ah, there's nothing religion has to say about any of that because like I got my heaven ticket stamped. That's weird <sighs> to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're noticing something important. And I, I do think sometimes universalist, it's almost like substituting the place of agnostic like they're like, mm. well, and that's like a step that maybe we don't need to go into all the details of, but it's like, okay, well, if we're all just going to go to heaven, God's doing God's thing. We're doing our thing. We can't really know. And I think what you're extending is a little bit more of an invitation to be like, well, look at all this mystery, like art. Do we understand it? Feelings? Do we understand them? Sometimes yeah. psychology, but all this mystery. And I'd say even, you know, beauty. C.S. Lewis has some nice things to say about beauty, TBH. He does. Uh, and that is maybe more of an invitation because you don't have to be so freaked about your eternal status. And maybe one thing's worth clearing up here. People sometimes use the term universalist and Unitarian equivocally, but those are two different ideas. So please clarify for us. Unitarian universalists are people who are universalists in that they believe that God engages with every person regardless of their religious faith sort mm -hmm. of you know on their own terms and has a salvific relationship or plan with them they're mm -hmm. unitarians in that they actually want to bring in the voices of various religious traditions so they're oh. not like they're not christian so, some people consider unitarian universalists like a a very progressive mainline protestant denomination I'm not the arbiter of whether they count as Christians or whatever, but the idea there is like, Jesus is not the only way to God. They're not necessarily, yeah. you don't, you don't gotta be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Then there's Christian inclusivism, which is a view that I hold, which is I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that that's the only way that God interacts with people. If I were a Unitarian, I would be going to a church that utilized many religious traditions in our service. It's like mm. an interfaith kind of a thing. So now if you're yeah. saying I'm a Unitarian, do I still need to be a Christian? Well, no, maybe you should just be a Unitarian. That's fine. But I, what I'm talking about is universalism, the idea yeah, that yeah. no one's going to hell. And that's what I took the question to mean, but it is yeah. possible that people mix those terms up or they use them interchangeably. Well, I th and I think that's part of the the fun of this conversation is there's a lot of assumptions. People don't even necessarily know what they mean all the time. Yeah. And even I hadn't thought through all these questions. So, Well, that's great. So, okay, finally, we can look to the empirical research, Kristen. My, heart, da -da -da. my heart is beating uh, for those <laughs> things that, that religion can provide. It's worth noting here, as I did in my conversation with Greg Kutsona in the Church is Good for You episode, which... Josh mm -hmm. can link in the notes. There's a difference between intrinsic religiosity and extrinsic religiosity. Mm. Extrinsic religiosity is when you are religious or you engage in religious activity because the outside world wants you to, right? Like mm -hmm. your parents, or you have to do this to be a part of your community, or you feel coerced to do this or something. 
intrinsic religiosity is is stuff that you do essentially on purpose. You are choosing yeah. to engage in it. And intrinsic religiosity is associated with kind of every benefit we think of in the social science literature. Mm. Stronger social ties, personal meaning, post-traumatic growth, access to both emotional and material resources, longer lives, reduced anxiety, reduced tension and emotional volatility. Religion can wow. provide us language, ritual, and infrastructure for pursuing our deepest values and goals. And mm -hmm. unlike therapy or CrossFit or the climbing gym or your kid's soccer club, religious activities are generally 100% free. You are encouraged <laughs> to tithe, but very few churches or religious groups will ever keep someone from participating because they don't have money. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there are plenty of reasons to be religious, I, I suppose. Now, I, I wouldn't recommend that people fake it, you know, unless it's a fake it till you make it kind of a thing, which there is something to be said for that of going through the motions because you mm -hmm. want to feel a certain way. And over time, you think that those activities might form you in a certain way. I think that can be very reasonable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's that's kind of my that's my fairly long witted answer to the question of why. Why be religious if everybody's going to heaven? Yeah, man. I And I think, you know, there's other components of this conversation that could be had about how religious traditions have developed. Obviously, you touch on this, you know, in various other episodes and maybe people now seeing that tradition could be harmful in different ways. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's uh, again, other topics. But yeah, if you're saying in general, this kind of disposition to, yeah, believe in something bigger. And can be a positive thing. And I think that sometimes you get, yeah, maybe so caught up in the details that this kind of broader thing, what is what is religion about? Getting in touch with what's greater, whether it be God or another traditions, some other spiritual force or being, you know, it's hopeful. And I think it is humbling, I'll say. I just think there's a lot of gravitational pull around that underlying assumption to take it all the way back that like this is primarily about getting to heaven. And there's so much stickiness to that because of the math of it. It's that yeah. infinity thing. And so I get it. That has so much gravitational pull that it takes sort of conscious effort or life experiences or time or helpful conversations with people or, or whatever experiences to sort of over years sometimes to dislodge that assumption, especially if yes. you were raised in it from childhood. Well, um, but it's a bad assumption. Yeah. And of course this brings us to the perfect opportunity to quote the lyrics from heavenly father by Boney bear, which <laughs> ends <laughs> never miss an opportunity, never. which ends with saying, Heavenly Father is all that he offers a safety in the end, which a great question. question and mark. if you have yeah. not listened to that song, pause this right now and look it up on YouTube because I don't <laughs> think it's on Spotify. Uh, you know, it. you know where you can watch on YouTube because I was watching it yesterday. The entire sure. headlining set from the Pitchfork Festival, like last month, is what? on YouTube. Yeah, like high quality oh audio gosh. and video. I just had it on uh, in the background yesterday. Well, and afternoon. I thought the NPR one, it couldn't get better than that. <laughs> Full audio video, 
headlining set. It's like an hour and 40 minute set or hour and a half set or something. Yeah. Now I know how I'll be spending my evening. Great. Um, <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks, Dan. I think that is a good look at this, uh, this religion mattering question. We forgot to mention that you give me the one big question beforehand. So that was not oh. all off the top of my head. I prepped that answer and everything else will be, except for one small question at the end, everything else is, is going to be off the cuff, but I get, I get to That's prep true. for kind of one kind of meaty one where, you know, you think it's the type of question where it's worth, you know, me spending a little time looking things mm-hmm. up and parsing things out. So that was that question. And now the rest of them are more off the cuff. Sounds like you're just a living encyclopedia who's also aware of the numbers of all your episodes. That- <laughs> <laughs> wow. How does he hold all that in his mind? All these knows. different threads. No, I had a yeah. Google Doc. I had a Google Doc. It's great. It's great. Well, that brings us then to our first off the cuff uh, question or answer. I guess I've prepared the question at least. Um, now, this is also a request, and I'm very intrigued about your answer. In light of maybe some theological changes, denominational changes, and a general move towards a more progressive Christianity, what are you going to teach your kids about sex? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so our son is three. We've got a little bit of time. But in a sense, we've already started. So I already tell him. If he tells me, you know, if he's like playing with his penis or whatever, <laughs> I will say to him, like, yeah, it feels good to play with your penis, huh? And and what I'm trying to do there is just normalize it. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, there's not a whole lot of content yet that we will be trying to share with him about this stuff. But in terms of the general, he's like, is he going to be suspicious of his body? Is he yeah. going to be sort of afraid of his sexuality? I don't want him to be. I want it to feel normal that sex involves pleasure and desire and, you know, I want to normalize puberty for him when he gets there and the fact that he's going to, he's going to be completely shocked how often he wants to masturbate. He's just going to (laughs) be, it's going to seem crazy to him, but I hope it doesn't because I'm going to normalize that for him. Right. And so that, that's kind of as far as we've had to get this far is just no, no shame around normal, you know, biological, hormonal sexuality, sexual drives. I mean, later on, you know, I I actually feel kind of like lucky timing wise, because I feel like there have been so many more resources that have come out, maybe even in the last like five, 10 years around like an alternative to purity culture. Mm. Um, I don't know that we've sort of landed on anything yet, but for instance, let me look this up and make sure I'm getting it right. And while you're looking it up, I will know you have the one episode, I can't remember what it's titled, but I think it's kind of in response to purity culture. And I thought that was really nicely done, whoever your guest was. Well, I think Linda K. Klein and I talked mm. about like what comes after purity culture. Yeah. yeah. And and she was talking about our whole lives. So that's a program that uh, some mainline churches use. There's a Unitarian version and I think a Episcopal version. I could be wrong. Now that we know um, what Unitarians are. <laughs> now that we know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, there's also a new book for raising girls around mm. this stuff from Sheila Gregoire called She Deserves Better. I think she also wrote it with her daughter and Joanna Sawatsky, who's does the main. Uh, so her daughter is Rebecca. 
Gregoire Lindenbach, and I actually had Rebecca and Joanna on for mm-hmm. a previous conversation as well for the research they did around Sheila's previous or their previous book, The Great Sex Rescue, which was this huge uh, survey of evangelical women. And oh. now they are kind of getting into the constructive stuff. So the book's called She Deserves Better, Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, mm. Self, and Speaking Up. So this is kind of trying to address the the sort of quiet female part of the patriarchal and purity culture stuff, I think beyond just purity culture. So yeah. there, there's stuff like that. I mean, I think that at this point, like if I had a 15 year old and they really wanted to read a book or something, I would probably have them read come as you are, which is okay. just a very straight ahead kind of sex ed book about all the different parts that people have and, and, and whatnot. So this is an area that I like, I'll have to do more research on as we get older kids, but those are some of my thoughts. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's good. Now I actually have more questions, but maybe we'll have to save them for a subsequent episode. Yeah. It, hey, if, listener, if you have a follow up there, uh, email Kristen and you can, yes. either, you can either email you have permission podcast at gmail.com or yeah. uh, we'll put in Kristen's email in the notes, right? Yeah. And if you do email that, just say for Kristen, don't read it, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Or me. I get the you have permission ones too. So yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that's great. Well, I have a few more questions here that we can, uh, we can kind of get into. Are you ready to switch over to part two? Yeah, let's move. We'll move to the Patreon feed. So if you're a patron, then this whole episode, both parts will just show up in the patron feed. And if you haven't done it yet, you can actually put, mm-hmm. you, you can use, there's a link within Patreon to say, add this to your favorite podcast player or whatever. And you click the link and that, that will help you subscribe in, you know, Apple podcasts or overcast or whatever you use Podbean, yeah, what, at, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you'll be able to hear the whole thing. If you're a main feed listener, uh, feel free to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dan Coke. That link is in the show notes. You get two or three exclusive episodes per month and access to the Facebook only, or sorry, the mem- the patron only Facebook group. And we got a bunch of new stuff coming for the Patreon community that we will be announcing shortly. So good time to join for the rest of you. We'll, we'll see you next week with a, with a regular episode. Yay.